Welcome to Absence Management Perspectives, a DMEC podcast. The Disability Management Employer Coalition, or DMEC as we're known by most people, provides focused education, knowledge, and networking opportunities for absence and disability management professionals. DMEC has become a leading voice in the industry and represents more than 16,000 professionals from organizations of all sizes across the United States and Canada. This podcast series will focus on industry perspectives and provide the opportunity to delve more deeply into issues that affect DMEC members and the community as a whole. We're thrilled to have you with us and hope you will visit us at dmec.org to get a full picture of what we have to offer from webinars and publications to conferences, certifications, and much more. Let's get started and meet the people behind the processes. Hello, and welcome to Absence Management Perspectives, a DMEC podcast. I'm Heather Grimshaw, Communications Manager for DMEC, and we're going to talk about the increasingly difficult terrain of family and medical leave with Lori Welty, Senior Product Compliance Attorney with Finios. Lori and her colleagues have shared insights during two recent DMEC webinars on the topic that outline points of confusion between paid family and medical leave and paid sick leave. She's agreed to chat with us today about ongoing questions and some resources that can help integrated absence management professionals. We will be sharing a few of the slides from the Phineas webinar in the notes section of the podcast for listeners, so please check those out. Lori, we're so glad that you're here today, and I'm hoping that you will set the stage for our listeners and give a brief overview of when the family and medical leave process got so complicated. You had a great poll in the webinar this month about when people started in the industry, kind of to gauge that experience. And one of the questions was for the quote-unquote sleeper years. Can you start there and talk about how quickly the landscape has changed? Yeah, thanks, Heather. Um, it's interesting because it seems like it it comes in waves. And when we look back into the um, pri- prior to 2000, I'm sure that those who were in the absence industry back then saw the same waves happening, you know, with the passage of the federal FMLA, and then there was the passage of Um, you know, unpaid baby bonding laws and other unpaid state FMLA leave. So I think this is, you know, something that has happened in the past um, in to different degrees. But I think once we got into the 2000s, to me, it feels like a tsunami. To me, it feels like um, multiple different large waves that have um, really significantly changed the whole landscape of what this industry looks like. So if we start um, with kind of the end of the um, early 2000s, so in the 2000, um, 2008, 9, 10 timeframe, um, we saw a really heavy wave of paid sick and safe leave laws. So, you know, these are laws that are essentially very similar to statutory PTO, although they don't, they don't actually mandate vacation leave or leave for any reason, except for a couple of them. They mostly do require that there be specific leave reasons, um, you know, sick leave, um, domestic violence leave, things of that nature. But um, but they act like PTO in that they are paid through an employee's, employer's payroll um, and it's full pay. After that, we saw a new wave and those were pregnancy accommodation laws. So these are more like ADA in that they're Know, reasonable length of time um, for accommodations, which can include a leave of absence. Um, but that was the kind of the early 2010s were focused on that. Then we saw a big shift into statutory paid family medical leave. So New York kicked that off with their state uh, state 
PFML law um, in 2016. And after that, it, it seems like it's been just a steady progression at this point in time. Um, we had um, Massachusetts, we had Washington, um, we've had uh, Connecticut, Oregon, um, Colorado, Maryland, and Delaware coming in, you know, to come. And so, um, it seems to me like we are on the next wave um, with the paid family medical leave. And, and I think even things might be changing as we look to some of the voluntary programs coming out with um, Virginia, Vermont, New Hampshire, and seeing how that's sort of going to transform the industry again. So um, it's been an interesting you know, journey to be on and see how the legislatures are um, kind of a give and take and reacting to, you know, what's happening in um, our, you know, public discussion and, you know, uh, responding to that with legislation. Absolutely. And it sounds like that there's, people should not start to relax. There, There's no break here. <laughs> no, just the opposite. I think it is time to staff up because things are only getting more complicated. Yeah, it definitely seems that way. In terms of, and just hearing you talk about what what has happened and, and really relatively quickly, um, I'd love to hear you share some of the high level common questions and areas of confusion when it comes to paid family leave, excuse me, paid family and medical leave and how to coordinate and differentiate between paid sick leave. And recognizing that I'm sure they are vast and varied, I'm thinking we should narrow it to maybe the top two or three. Definitely. Um, it's really interesting when I do um, these webinars for DMEC because I get some insight into, you know, the, the questions that are coming through. And of course, you know, in my own um, role, I get those questions as well. But I, I really enjoy hearing um, from the DMEC membership to see what, what you know, is challenging people. Um, one of the things that we talked about in the webinar has to do with the um, ways in which paid family leave, paid family medical leave, and paid sick leave are similar, how they're different. And then, you know, putting that aside, once we understand how they're similar and different, how do they coordinate? Let's say both of them do apply, you know, how do they coordinate together? So that's kind of the two big buckets is, um, you know, is which one applies? And then if they both apply, how do we handle that? And And I'd say on the first question of which one applies, the biggest question there tends to be the leave reason. So, um, you know, obviously there's different rules in terms of whether the employee is eligible, have they worked long enough, um, you know, things like that. But when you look at the leave reason, typically paid sick and safe leaves tend to just cover more leave reasons and they're more loose in how they um, define the leave reasons. Whereas paid family medical leave has a higher standard for when you can take leave. So, one example of that is. Um, you know, a, like a regular routine illness. With paid sick and safe leave, there's no, there's really not much scrutiny to, to, you know, not as much scrutiny, I'll say, in terms of when you can take leave, because most of the time you can take leave for um, really any reason that pertains to your health, even if it's preventive care. So, you don't, there's not a high threshold there. You might need um, in many states, you might need to produce some certification um, if you're out for a certain amount of time. But um, the, it, the rules are just less stringent under paid sick and safe leave, whereas um, paid family and medical leave is a higher standard, more akin to the FMLA. In fact, generally identical to the FMLA that it does have to be a serious health condition. So, you know, because of that, you can um, have situations where paid sick and safe leave will apply for a minor health condition and paid family medical leave won't apply. Um, 
Typically, though, it won't go the other direction. If you do have a serious health condition, then both of them will apply because, you know, you can always you can always exceed the definition of illness under paid sick and safe leave to take, you know, to use your paid family medical leave time for both. But the other, then the other question, Heather, is how do they coordinate? So, you know, if you know that both of them are going to apply, let's say it is a serious health condition, so both will apply, um, or maybe it's, um, you know, caring for a family member with a serious health condition, a reason like that that might apply to both. There, there's a question there of can can this employee use both benefits? Um, can they use paid sick and safe leave during a waiting period? Um, and, you know, why might they want to do that? Well, typically, paid sick and safe leave is your full pay. You know, and for, for um, higher wage employees, that can be a pretty different calculation than what they might receive under paid family and medical leave. The paid sick and safe leave is shorter, so it's usually only one to two weeks of time available. But, you know, the, the, the income in those one to two weeks can be pretty valuable to an employee. So they might want to max out those benefits for the first two weeks of their leave and then use paid family and medical leave. Um, or they might want to use it to top off their paid family medical leave, or maybe they want to use it during a waiting period. And there are different states that have different rules um, as far as that goes. Um, if we look at Massachusetts, Massachusetts does have a waiting period. And an employee could use um, any type of you know, time off benefits, PTO type benefits during that waiting period. Um, but during their leave itself, once they qualify for paid family and medical leave, they um, cannot, they can't top up with anything else. Um, so they have to just use their paid family medical leave benefits. Well, the other interesting thing is in pay, in Massachusetts, if, if you're taking a leave for a reason that Massachusetts um, covers, so if you're taking leave for your own serious health condition, you have to use your you, 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 you can't choose to kind of put off those benefits. Um, you have to claim them. Um, or you're going to be deducted for that time anyway. So you might as well claim them. Whereas in a state like Washington, if let's say you have, you know, several weeks of pay available to you, either through, you know, a, a sick and safe leave or maybe through a PTO, you can choose and say, I don't want to use my uh, Washington PFML benefits. I'm going to wait and use, say, four weeks of PTO benefits or other benefits I might have available to me. And um, then I'm going to use my um, PFML benefits. Um, or maybe they just, for some reason, have done the calculation and have decided the first. I don't want to be paid for the first four weeks. I, you know, I want to save that for something else, um, and they're allowed to do that. So, um, you know, there's some choices in in some states. You have choices, and in other states, you don't. Wow. Yeah. Just to add another layer of complexity, there. <laughs> <laughs> and I would think, you know, this would probably be a completely different podcast. But from the vantage point of how you educate your employees on what they can and can't use so they're they're prepared for that in advance um, because obviously uh, ensuring that absence management professionals have all the information they need is a is a challenge with all these differing you know these kind of unique issues by state well that's absolutely i mean it's enough for employers to try to figure out what they're supposed to comply with let alone employees um i, I think you know em employers I think do you know many of them do a good job of providing information um, to to their employees about that either voluntarily in their handbooks, but also most of these laws do have notice requirements, um, and some of them have pre-printed um, 
materials that um, they're required to either post or even send out at date of hire or maybe um, within a certain amount of time, uh, you know, a certain certain amount of um, regularity with their paycheck. So there, there are some requirements that employers do notify employees of these programs. And a lot of times, um, if you go to those websites and, you know, the, the, the information that they provide to their employees will have links there, um, there will be additional resources on the websites, which I think are, they are pretty employee friendly if you read through those materials and some of them even have extensive guides so that you can read through a guide and they'll have a guide designed from the employee standpoint designed from the employer standpoint so you know so each can read through those and and see what what their benefits might be and they might even have calculators to um anticipate what they'll be paid. Actually, during the webinar, you mentioned that there are some great tips and resources on state FAQ web pages. And so you've just given an example of, of a resource that would be really helpful. Um, can you talk a little bit more about what absence management professionals will find on these pages? Yes. And Heather, that brings up a point that I want to make that I know um, Many people listening to this might think to themselves, I already know this, but I'm just going to say it again because I think there can be a lot of confusion about this. Um, when when a new law is passed, it's passed through the legislature. I feel, I feel like I'm doing a little, um, you know, uh, public public service presentation on, on how bills get made. But um, but we all know this. I know we all know this. We all took civics in, in high school. But um, just, you know, in case, in case we forgot any of it, when a bill gets passed, you know, through the legislature, it becomes a law, and that's a statute. And usually those statutes are, they have a framework, but they don't go into a lot of the nitty-gritty details of how certain things will work. They, they, they do set out the the mandates, you know, this is what the state has said must occur. But then a lot of times what will happen is that within the statute, um, the, the legislature will authorize or appoint an agency that's going to administer the statute. And that's where regulations come in. So once you have the statute, then there will be a process of developing regulations. And that process can go on for months or even years. Um, and a lot of times that's why we see statutes being um, it's one of the reasons why we see statutes being passed, and then there's a long lag time between when they go into effect. I mean, one reason for that, of course, is that states have to begin um, collecting contributions. But an another reason is because no one really knows how this plan is going to operate. And so the regulations will um, break down the aspects of the statute into more practical terms and provide more examples um, and more of um, uh, detail and color about how the um, the law will actually be administered. But but then beyond that, so those are sort of the two official pieces of you know collateral that the states will produce. But then beyond that, they they many, many times, um, and, and you know, if you look at the Washington or Massachusetts, Oregon as examples, Connecticut is great too, they they will have extensive other materials on there, like FAQs, as I mentioned, um, guides, I know um, Washington has a great employer's guide and an employee's guide. Um, and I really like those. I, you know, this, this is all I do. This is my whole job is working on absence management, you know, laws, regulations, everything to do with this. And I still find it very confusing at times when you look at specific scenarios to understand what was intended, um, what, you know, what does the state want you to do in this, this, and that scenario. And a lot of times, you know, when, when the when the legislature passed these laws, they didn't contemplate a lot of different scenarios. And so as the program evolves, and I think as the state agencies continue to be confronted with difficult scenarios, then they will 
provide some information on their web pages to say, you know, okay, if this happens, here's what we expect. If that happens, here's what we expect. So, you know, I really like looking at those, um, both the regulations and the FAQs and the guides to get more color on the, the practical application of, of the statute. Um, you know, one area here that I brought up on the webinar is how you handle a situation where you have um, multi-state topics. So, you know, where you have employees and employers working in different states and maybe the employee is remote and the employee moves and the employee reports to somebody else and that person moves. These are things I, I think in many cases the statute did provide some information there if you really go digging through it and if you are, you know, a real pro at, at reading statutory language, but many people are going to need a little bit more um, information to understand really how to apply that. And so I really like um, looking, and a lot of the FAQs do cover that topic in particular, and you can find some information. And my favorite thing, and anybody who I have ever worked with knows I love scenarios, I love examples, I love to actually come up with real life um, examples of how things work um, and, and kind of extrapolate, you know, start from a simple scenario, get more complicated. And I love it when I see FAQs that provide those kinds of examples. And I know, I think they're really helpful in the industry when, when uh, agencies provide those. I agree. I think it, it really provides you with that context. And as, as you've mentioned, that practical application, which makes such a big difference. So I also really appreciated that, that you said that even though you, you are a specialist in this area, that you find these resources really helpful because uh, it's, it's rather daunting to, to look at all the information and try and hold it all in your mind. And that leads me, I guess, to my next question, which is really for folks who are preparing for new paid family medical leave laws, uh, what are the first steps that you'd encourage them to take? So there's a lot of different um, considerations that an employer is going to want to think about when they're seeing um, a, a new paid family medical leave law um, come online. And, you know, maybe this is an employer who's located in a state that hasn't been impacted and maybe they're in Maryland and they've seen the, you know, some of their states around them um, have these laws going to effect, but they've been, you know, kind of, ah, we don't have to worry about this yet. And all of a sudden one gets passed in their state, or maybe they, um, are an employer who already has a paid family medical leave program, you know, in, in a state they operate in, but now one of the other states that they also operate in is having a program come online. I, I think probably, you know, the biggest decision they're going to have to make is whether or not they want to, how, how they want to handle that paid family medical leave program. So many states allow for um, a private plan. Um, so either a, um, the, the employee to get an insured plan or a self-insured plan, um, or um, there's also the option of using, you know, sending the employee to the state um, for their program. Now, some of these are different. Not every state allows all three of those options. Um, like for example, District of Columbia, they only have the, the state option or the district option. You can't have a private plan. Um, whereas, you know, for example, um, Connecticut, you you could have either one. Um, so that's kind of the first question, and that's a big question. That's going to dictate a lot of where you go from there. And I think, you know, to answer that question, employers are going to look at how they handle their other benefits. Are they um, outsourcing some of the administration of their FMLA already um, and can adding in an insured 
um, PFML product, you know, into their offerings, would that be easier for them? Maybe they can wrap that around their FMLA and kind of integrate that all. Um, you know, some employers like that because they can, um, like I said, they can integrate it with their existing benefits. They have a little bit more control over how employees are paid. They can, you know, dictate that as well, but, you know, the timing of benefits. Um, one of the things I think that can factor into this is the the more recent, most of the more recent paid family medical leave programs that have been enacted, as I mentioned, they're more like FMLA. So not only are they paid, but they actually do provide job protection. So if you have an employee in a state where they've opted to go with the state plan and they're not, they're not using either an insured or a self-insured plan, the employee, the employer is still going to need to know whether or not this leave was approved by the state and for how long it was approved and when it was approved for so that they can be sure that they are providing job protection for that employee. So somehow, some way, they're going to have to manage the leave anyway. And sometimes, you know, using an insured or self-insured product can help that employer to wrap that all up together because they know they're going to have to manage the, the absence in some way anyway and provide that job protection this way they can combine that all into one there's options of course to um, manage those absences uh, regardless even if they are having the state handle the pay but that's probably the biggest thing that they're going to need to look at right off the bat is whether they're going to go public or private with that so I was struck by the comments made during the webinar about how some cities have different rules for paid sick and safe leaves. And I'm wondering if you have suggestions for how absence management professionals can track this, as well as for multi-state employers that are juggling several statutory paid family medical leaves on top of that. So what, what are some of the best ways to track these types of laws? Yeah, thanks, Heather. So I'm hearing two things in that question. One is, how do you kind of stay stay abreast of new developments in states and cities that you might be interested in? And then also, once you know that there is a, a law that's going to impact you, how do you manage that if you have um, employees in multiple states and cities? So on the first part of that, how do you become aware of that? Um, you know, for those in the industry, there are research to research tools like um, Lexis and Westlaw, and I know there's other tools out there as well that can be very helpful for that you can subscribe to and and receive updates about that. But if you're in an in a you know in an employer in an HR group, you're probably not monitoring laws in that way. So what I would say would be the best way to handle that is obviously watching the news. You can definitely hear about these. They're usually um, politician who's excited to tell you that they got this law pass. So usually you see that in the news. But um, there's certain things like paid sick and safe leave laws that are hard to catch on research tools. So Google alerts are really helpful. There's also a number of great blogs out there that specialize in exactly what we're talking about. And you can even just Google to find those blogs and then subscribe to them. And then you will get all those updates as well. So I think those are probably the best um, couple tools that employers can use to be notified when new laws are coming online. Um, and then in terms of once they know that there is a law that impacts them, if you if you know if you're a single state employer and you just need to manage one program, like for example, if you're in say, gosh, I'm trying to think of even one state that is simple. Um, let's say you're in Delaware, which has a, a new law, new paid family medical leave coming online, and um, you need to be able to manage absence just in the state of Delaware. You could probably 
get by with really studying what that program consists of and managing that in you know whatever you decide whether you want to go private or public and manage that and um, i'm not saying it's going to be easy you still have to take into account fmla and americans with disabilities act and other things like that but um, there's not quite as many things that are going to impact you in a state like delaware but if you are in a state that's more complicated, like let's say Massachusetts, which has you know, an unpaid parental leave on top of it, or you're in Connecticut, which has a full unpaid FMLA program, there, and you know, multiple different programs in states like California, and, and let's say you're an employer who is required to provide leave in multiple states, I think you're gonna have to think um, a little bit more broadly about how you're gonna manage that. I have a lot of friends and colleagues who work in in the HR side of things, and every now and then I'll come across someone who is trying to manage multi-state employer um, situations by themselves, you know, with an Excel spreadsheet. And I, I kudos to them, and I give them so much credit for um, for the work that they're doing. I think there are resources out there that can make that a lot easier. And I, you know, I would for for employers who have multiple state issues look you know look to your resources talk to the um your other service providers that you use talk to your carriers um there are resources out there that can help you make that easier there's software out there there's a lot of different ways that you can manage this better than just a spreadsheet i would i would suggest that employers like that just try to um look to the resources they already have relationships with and um see what they can find uh, in terms of making that job a little bit easier to stay compliant because there are a lot of compliance considerations here and it's it's hard to go it alone that absolutely makes sense and it is difficult to imagine how you would be able to keep just keep up and keep track and so in terms of the resources that are helpful to absence management professionals who are tracking all of this i did also want to mention the legislative updates resource on the dmec website that has news and insights on upcoming and recently passed legislation. There's also a state and local leave law resource which provides information about the leave laws as well as links to the state websites that Lori mentioned earlier in our discussion. We so appreciate your time today with the questions, Lori, and your expertise during the webinar. So thank you so much. Thank you, Heather. <laughs>